you have your Bibles with you, uh, start with, we'll turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We will uh, continue our study on a proper biblical perspective or a biblical perspective for all of us. And the character that we'd like to look at this morning is the character of Moses. Uh, we started with Adam, uh, then we looked at Abraham and Noah, and now we're looking at the man Moses. Uh, what we've been trying to do is we've been going through uh, the Old Testament, uh, looking at these patriarchs of the Old Testament, these great uh, spiritual giants of the Old Testament, and simply examining some of their sins. The purpose for this is to remind us, as Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to. Uh, when you go back through the Old Testament or through the Bible as a whole and you begin to examine the sins of some of the men uh, that walked with God and those who were chosen to write the Word of God, uh, we may have the idea that they were sort of super Christians better than all of us. Well, there is a, a teaching amongst some of God's people that you can progress in your sanctification now on this earth until you get better and better and better till you eventually just live above sin and you live a sinless life. Well, you might be able to do that, but nobody in the Bible did. And if nobody in the Bible did, you probably can't eat. Someone may say then, well, these people in the Bible were so mightily used of God and they were sinners, as great a sinner as I am, well, what does it matter about my sin then? It's also a reminder to us as how dreadful life can be sometimes. Heaven may be your home. You may rest with God for all eternity. But a life of continued sin and a life of continued disobedience in the eyes of God can lead to some disastrous and dreadful things here and now. And, and what the Bible teaches is there is an eternal salvation that Christ on the cross has delivered us from. But there is also a timely here and now salvation that obedience to the gospel delivers you from. And a lot of people get those two confused. A lot of, matter of fact, there's a lot of God's people that don't even know about our earthly salvation or a timely salvation. You say, well, that term timely or earthly salvation doesn't exist in the Bible. You're correct. Nowhere in the Bible is there temporal, earthly, or timely salvation mentioned. However, I do find in the book of Exodus that we'll look at here in just a little bit, uh, Israel was saved from, it, from the Egyptians that day. So there may not have been an earthly salvation, a temporal salvation, but there was a that day salvation. And there's a lot of times that we'll have to admit, when we've chosen to do the right thing here in life, we've been posed with Two opposing options in our life. If we've ever done the right thing, we've saved ourselves from a lot of hurtful pitfalls and disastrous occurrences here in life. Let's look at Moses here. Moses is listed for us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Moses is in this hall of faith or this faith hall of fame. Um, it, it's worthy to note these men of the Old Testament are used by the Apostle Paul. After Paul writes Hebrews 11, he writes all these men that they did this by faith. Something they did, they did it by faith. Everything they, they did, they moved by faith. He then goes into Hebrews 12 and he says, Seeing therefore that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. The, the witness that he's talking about in Hebrews 12 is the record of godly men in Hebrews 11. Based on that, he says, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. I'd like for you to notice here that when you look at all the men in the book of Hebrews 11 and even some of the women there, each one of them had a different problem. They may have cumulative problems as well, but each one of them you can point to a specific different problem in their life. 
I think this is why Paul says to us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Things that beset me are different than the things that would beset you. And the things that would beset or hinder one person in the congregation is different from things that would hinder someone else in the congregation. You see the way that Paul writes this? He doesn't lay out a specific sin that we're to set aside. If he laid out a specific sin to set aside, you might say, that's not my problem, Paul's not talking to me. So he uses a generic term saying, the sin that does so easily beset us, saying, I'm speaking to all of you regardless of what your problem is. There's an encouragement in life to set aside the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience, Paul goes on to say, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And as you can see, especially and specifically in the person of Moses, Moses is a type of Christ. But we're going to see some, some things in Moses' life. He should have been pointing Israel, number one, to God, and ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a few times that he kind of messes up in his leadership, and he forgets that the purpose of being a leader to God's people is to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the primitive Baptists have the truth. I think when it comes right down to it, I think we're as close to the truth as anybody else is ever going to get. You're either saved by the death of Christ or you're not. It's not a mixture of Christ's work and your obedience. It is strictly and completely by the blood of Christ. It is a gift of the grace of God. But my purpose is not to preach to people and make them primitive Baptists. My purpose is to preach to people and to point them to Jesus Christ. Now, it is our hope that if they want to be like Jesus Christ, and follow him in gospel baptism, they'll join the primitive Baptist. That is our hope. But whether they join the primitive Baptist or not, our purpose is to point them to Jesus Christ. You can preach church to the exclusion of Jesus Christ. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees pointed everybody to Moses and to Moses' law. But they failed to understand and see that when Christ came, he came to fulfill the law on behalf of not only those Israelites, but God's chosen people everywhere. And they failed to see that. They had a head religion. They had problems. And they figured the only way to do it is to figure it out in my head. If I just followed step by step, I would be pleasing God. That's, that's not the point. There's none of us that step by step can please God. It's the person of Christ that please God on our behalf. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, Moses is referred to as a faithful man. Uh, by faith, it tells us here in verse uh, 24. Hebrews 11, 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Obviously, you know the beginning story of Moses. Uh, and, and time would not really permit us today to start at the beginning of Moses' life when uh, his parents disobeyed government orders. Did y'all catch that? The government said when the Hebrew women bring forth their children, if it's a man, you drown the man in the river and you save the girls alive. The boys were to be killed and, and the girls were to be saved alive. Interesting, Moses' parents said, I don't think we'll comply with what the government 
has to say. We've been reading a book uh, to the children lately called The Hiding Place by, it's the story of Corey Ten Boom. It's a wonderful book. Uh, if, if you want some good reading material, I would encourage you to read it. And as you're reading through the pages, you cannot see the exact same, same thing happening nowadays. You ain't reading plain enough. She was arrested for breaking the law. You know what the law was? Jews were to be turned in. And if you helped and harbored any Jews, you'd be taken to prison also. There comes a time in Christians' lives where the government has overstepped its bounds. There comes a time in Christians' lives when the government oversteps its bounds, you are forced to follow God rather than the government. That's just plain. It's plain from Scripture. It's plain from common sense. Here is an edict that is passed down from the government that says all the Hebrew boys were to be drowned in the river. Moses' parents decide, by faith, we're not going to follow that. We're going to follow the Lord. And when it came too much for them, they hid Moses in the river. Moses' sister sat back to see what would happen. Pharaoh's daughter came down. And you would think that Pharaoh would say when she sees this child, Here, here's a, a, a Hebrew male child. By, by order and decree of my father, we should drown him in the river. But, but no, even she has enough sense to realize her father's decree was a little misled. And so she brings him into her house and she raises him as one of her own. Even in this instance, Moses is a type of Christ because he is raised as an Egyptian, though he is not. Christ himself went to the cross to bear our sins. He was seen as a sinner on the cross, though he wasn't. But there came a point in Moses' life when he realized who he was and where he came from, that he chose rather to suffer the afflictions of the people of God then look at what this says. Enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Isn't that just a wonderful, insightful phrase? Moses chose rather to uh, uh, suffer the affliction with God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It's important to note to people that sin is pleasurable. That's why people do it so much. That's why industries in America are million and billion dollar a year industries catering to sinful pleasures. But God would have us to know that the pleasure of sin lasts for a season. It's temporary. It ain't going to last long. The pleasure of sin doesn't last long. It's for a small time. It's for a season. That's why the Bible reminds us in the book of Psalms that at the right hand of God are pleasures evermore. When you've experienced God and you experience what He has for you, the pleasure of knowing God, the pleasure of reading His book is a pleasure that lasts evermore. There's no end to it. And specifically in heaven's pure world, the pleasures of being in the presence of God will last for all eternity. So here he calls it, he says, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. This, this is why we would remind our children, don't do that. It's wrong. Don't do it. And you may not suffer anything right now, which is one of the hardest things that you have in dealing with somebody around you, they may do something and right now not suffer any consequences to it. And there's the problem. They don't suffer consequences now and they do it again. And they don't suffer consequences and they do it again. And they do it again. And they do it again. And by the time they realize this was the wrong thing to do, 
that's so far in it they can't get out. This is where addiction comes from. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's uh, drugs. It doesn't matter if it's drinking. It doesn't matter if it's pornography. It doesn't matter if it's money. It doesn't matter if it's work. You realize people can be addicted to work. Cannot have the ability within themselves to just pause and stop and relax. And by the time they realize their habit has swallowed them up, they're too deep in it to get out of it. It's the pleasure of sin that lasts for a season. He says, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect and the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. Moses was a man of faith. Moses, there, there should be no question that Moses is in heaven with God today. Not only is Moses described as a uh, man of faith, but if you turn to the book of Numbers, you find that Moses has another characteristic. Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. Well, really, you could go back and you could read starting in verse 1. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 1 says, And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Moses is described as a meek man. Now, Webster's Dictionary describes uh, a meek individual as an even-tempered individual, uh, not easily provoked or angered. I wouldn't call Moses that at all. Moses was often upset with Israel. Moses was often put out with Israel. But maybe that's all we know about Moses' reaction to Israel. There, there's 120 years of Moses' life that's condensed down to just five books or four books in the Old Testament. All we get a lot of times is Moses' reaction to Israel. Imagine yourself, though, being the leader of a people that are murmurers, complainers, and disobedient. When they came, uh, well, I was going to say when they came out of, out of uh, Egyptian bondage, but really even before that, when Israel was in Egyptian bondage and they cried for deliverance, God sent Moses. And when Moses came down to Pharaoh and told him, let my people go, instead of letting the people go, he made their burdens heavier. And so Israel complained that here's this man, you've come along, you hadn't made our life better, you've made it better. And then they get to the Red Sea as they're being delivered, and they're complaining that they're trapped, we don't know what we're doing, and you don't look like you know what you're doing. And he has to tell them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And they're delivered across the Red Sea, and then it's not long after that, that they're murmuring and complaining that there's no water in the land, and then they're murmuring and complaining there's no bread in the land. They are a constant source of murmuring and complaining. Now, also keep in mind, Moses has to deal with really two separate congregations here. When Israel disobeyed God, and God said, you'll wander in the wilderness 40 years, and everybody, 20 years and under, 
They'll be allowed to go in, or excuse me, really it's everybody 19 years and under, everybody 20 years and older, you're going to die and your carcasses are going to perish out here in this wilderness. Moses has to watch that congregation that's 20 years and older die for the next 40 years. And then just prior to them going into Canaan's land, he's now got a new congregation that's fixing to go in. Does that, does that make sense? Everybody that was 19 and under, they're now all 40 years older. And then they had children as well while they were in there. And that group has got to go in. Moses is dealing with two different congregations ultimately. And yet we'll come to a point where the second congregation is just like the first congregation. Murmuring and complaining the whole way. So this is almost like the parent who's told the child no less than a hundred times to pick up your room. Y'all never had to do that, right? Y'all never had to tell your child, clean up your room, clean up your room, clean up your room, clean up, wash the dishes, do the dishes, do the dishes, fold the clothes, fold the clothes, fold the clothes. You've never had to tell somebody, go cut the grass, go cut the grass, go cut the grass. Y'all never had to do anything like that. I know y'all haven't had to do anything like that. Our problem as parents is inconsistency. When they didn't do it the first time is when we should have whipped them then. But we tried to be patient with them and remind them again. And we reminded them again and we reminded them again. And our problem as parents was after about the fifth or sixth time we got tired of, of speaking to them, that's when we yelled at them and made them go do what we wanted them to do. And so the child only learns, I really don't have to do it, until mama gets mad and yells at me. So this is why you're dealing with a lot of people in the workplace. They don't do what they're told to do until you curse at them or yell at them or holler at them. Because they've learned this growing up that it's not important to do it until somebody gets mad. They should have been taught it's important to do it because you're told to obey your mother and your father. So Moses here I have a tendency to think that he's probably like a lot of us. He probably told them over and over and over and over again to do something. And they didn't do it until God rains down judgment from heaven until Moses yells at them. And that's kind of the story that we have in Moses' life. He's a meek man because one of the definitions of meekness is a desire to quickly obey and respond. So, for example, horse racing. They line all the horses up in this metal stall, and the question is, which is the meekest horse? The meekest horse is the first one out of the gate. The gate opens, the bell rings, they whip the horse, and out he runs. That's the meekest horse. He's the one who's quickest to obey. He's ready to obey. And if Moses is a meek man as the Bible describes him here, part of his frustration probably stems from the fact, stems from the fact that much of Israel is probably lazy. Is that not your problem? The light turns green. The light is long enough without somebody in front of me doing their nails or their taxes while they're sitting in traffic. It's long enough without me having to sit here and politely ask you, could you please proceed through the traffic light? This is now turned green. Right? I'm ready to go. I, 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 I should have left ten minutes ago. I didn't leave till now. And now I've got to wait on you to decide whether or not you even want to drive out here where you're blocking up traffic and the rest of us. I have a feeling that Moses is probably a little bit like that. Proceed forth. Do one thing at a time. Stop texting. Get off Facebook. Get off this other junk that people are doing on their phones in their car while they're trying to drive. But we only get a lot of times Moses' record or the record of Moses when Moses was frustrated with Israel. Probably to show a lot of us Moses is just like you maybe, just like me. We're all in the same boat with this one. Um, so that then that brings us then to an interesting interesting thing here. 
Moses did have a problem. Moses had a personal problem. Uh, turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 4. It's a couple of passages here that we want to look at. Moses had a personal problem. He had a physical problem. And in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10, I'd like you to notice something here. When you find it, say amen. I only heard about half of everybody on that one, so we'll wait for those that are creeping along. Uh, maybe in conference one day we'll put up a big jumbotron behind me. Put the scriptures up there maybe. Ah, just kidding. All right, Mo, uh, uh, Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Now, you ask yourself, what does Moses mean by that? Is, that, does Mo, is Moses not a quick thinker? Well, there are a lot of people who can't think on their feet. There are a lot of people who have to stop and think about what they're going to say. All of us should be like that. You ever been in an argument, though, with somebody? And the slower you responded to them, the madder they got. They've asked you a question, but you want to think about what you've got to say. And they were ready for an answer yesterday. Those are interesting people to interact with. Um, it's been said that even of Osama bin Laden, that you could ask him a question, and it may be a minute or a minute and a half before he even said anything. Imagine having a conversation with somebody like that. Perhaps I just should start a stopwatch right now and just see how long a minute really is before I said the next thing. And everybody said amen. No, uh, Moses says he's slow of speech and of a slow tongue. But I'd like for you to also notice um, chapter 6. Verse 12, And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? I submit to you that Moses had a physical problem, maybe of stuttering or stammering. Stuttering or stammering. Now, can you imagine God calling this man to say, Go in unto my people and tell Pharaoh... The 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 Lord let uh, let let that that everybody getting a CD on this is going to think there's a skip in the CD. Uh, it's like listening to Mel Tillis talk at 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 at, 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 at one, one, one point in in his life. I'm not trying to make fun of folk like that, but somebody who has that problem that's frustrating. And you're asking me. Moses, you're asking me to be the mouthpiece of Israel? To go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go? But Moses is forgetting that when God called you to do something, He took into account your inabilities and your inadequacies. When God called me to do something, He took into account my inabilities and my inadequacies. Uh, the question uh, was posed to me this morning at the house. Somebody was trying to figure out this particular, there's a particular phrase out there, there's a particular saying that says, courage is not the absence of fear. What, we were trying to figure out what the end of that was. I'd never really heard it, so we looked it up. And it says that courage is not the absence of fear but it's the realization that there are things more important than fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. People who are in the army are brave, and they have courage, and they're afraid of what's in front of them. But the reason they sign up for the army is the reason is not because they are not afraid, but because they respect the flag and they defend the truth for which it stands and for which it flies. Courage is not the absence of, break, uh, uh, absence of fear, but rather it's the realization that there are things in life more important than fear. I wonder if that might have helped Moses out a little bit. To know that there are things in life more important than slow of speech 
and stammering tongue. Now, <clears throat> there's something that occurs in Moses' life uh, that we want to jump to now as he is leading out the children of Israel. Uh, because we know that what happened in Moses' life, ultimately the end, was that Moses was not allowed to enter into Canaan's land at the end of Israel's wilderness wandering. That is the saddest part about Moses' life. We know Moses is in heaven. We also know there came a point that Moses did enter Canaan's land. In the Old Testament, when God was dealing with him, he did not enter, was not allowed, was not permitted to enter into Canaan's land in this record. We know this, correct? But we also know through scriptural record that there was a point Moses did enter into Canaan's land. There was a point where what Moses had done was covered and Moses was allowed to enter into Canaan's land. It's in Matthew chapter 17 when the Lord Jesus Christ goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. There with him was Peter, James, and John and there were two people transfigured with Christ in Canaan's land. And who were they? Elijah and Moses. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? I think there's a lot of folks still living in the Old Testament, not the Old Baptist, as a matter of fact. That's just my opinion. They forgot that Christ came. Something happens in Moses' life. There are three instances in Moses' life where he's dealing with having to provide water for the nation of Israel. The first time that this occurs is in Exodus chapter 15. Israel has just been delivered across the Red Sea. There was a great deliverance given by God that day. But the first thing that happens is they come to a place called Marah. This is Exodus 15 and verse 23. And they came to Marah and they could not drink of the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it is called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So that's reasonable, don't you? Don't you think that that's reasonable to say, you know, now we're out here in this wilderness, there's not uh, Walmart nearby. Where's the water going to come from? Exodus 17. Here we go again. Exodus 17, verse 3. The people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Well, the murmuring is just getting worse, isn't it? If you don't deal with bitterness in your life, it just gets worse. It don't get any better. If you don't deal with murmuring and complaining early on in life, it doesn't get any better. Moses cried unto the Lord saying, What shall I do unto this people? They'd be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come out water out of it that the people may drink. So we have this issue here. We need more water. What are we going to do? Smite the rock. In the first instance, the water was just bitter. It was already there, but they couldn't taste of it. So the Lord had told Moses, he says, here's a tree over here. I want you to cut this tree down. Throw that tree into the river. And the water will pass through the tree. And the water that comes out on the other side will be sweet to drink. And it would be pleasant. But the tree's got to be cast in there first. So we got a tree in the water. Now we got a rock that is smitten with Moses' rod. And then we come to uh, Numbers chapter 20. And it's in Numbers chapter 20 that we're about ready to go into Canaan's land. And now we're dealing with that second generation. 
And Numbers chapter 20, here's the cry again. And this starts up, uh, I will say verse 5 or so. Wherefore have ye made us to come out of Egypt to bring us in unto this evil place? It is no place of seed or figs or vines or pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. Notice, notice how the complaint here just continued to grow. What we said a while ago, if you don't deal with complaint, you don't deal with bitterness, you don't deal with problems in your life, they just grow and they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow. There might have been a few things wrong with your spouse when you married them. But if you did not learn to look for the humor in life and just learn to try and overlook some of the people in your life and the things that they do that you cannot stop, that bitterness will continue to grow. As, as Jeannie Robertson said, you just kind of have to put on your best pageant smile and smile through it all. Here in Numbers 20, the plain is growing and Moses and Aaron went to the, from the presence assembly, they went to the Lord. And here's what the Lord tells him. He says in verse 8, Take thy rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. In the first instance, they needed water. They were told to throw the tree in the water, and as the water passed through the tree, the water becomes sweet. In the second instance, God told Moses, Take thy rod, smite the rock, and it shall bring forth water. You smite it, it brings forth water. This time, he tells him to take thy rod, but speak to the rock, and the rock shall bring forth his water. Catch that? There was a tree in the water the first time. The rock was smitten the second time. And now the third time here, the rock is to be spoken to. And when the rock is spoken to, the rock will bring forth his water. When Paul is writing to the Corinth church, he references this, and I believe it's 1 Corinthians. It's either 1 Corinthians 10 or 2 Corinthians 10. He references this and he tells them that they all drank of the same spiritual drink. And they all that flowed from the rock, and that rock which followed them was Christ. This rock in the Old Testament that is both at the beginning of Israel's wandering and at the end of Israel's wandering, like two bookends, is the rock of Christ. And interestingly enough, that tree over there as well that goes into those bitter waters turns the waters Sweet. What makes death palatable for us? The fact that we knew somebody? The fact that they lived a good life according to our standards? No. The thing that makes death palatable to us is that Christ Himself has already gone there for us. He went into death, and three days later, He came out of death, destroying it, and conquering death, conquering death, hell, and the grave for us on our behalf. That's what makes the death of our loved ones so sweet. Not their life, the life of Christ. And when the life of Christ is thrown into the midst of a bitter, deplorable situation, it makes things a lot sweeter for us. And that rock that was smitten once at the beginning of Israel's journey, was to be spoken to at the end. That rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, that was smitten one time, is not to be smitten again. He'll come back the second time without sin unto salvation, and He will not be treated like He was the first time. He will not be taken by wicked men and crucified and slain. He will not be taken and a crown of thorns be platted upon his head till the thorns pierce down in his ears and blood runs. He will not be smitten on his back. He will not be buffeted in his face. He will not be treated 
the second time the same way he was treated the first time. And what God does to Moses here is he points out something. Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation in verse 10. And he says unto them, notice verse 10. This is Numbers 20 and verse 10. Hear now ye rebels. God didn't call them rebels. God always calls them my people. But Moses called them rebels. Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock. We ain't going to fetch water out of this rock, Moses. God is fetching water out of this rock. And the Lord spake unto Moses in verse 12, and he says, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given you. There's a problem that occurs in a lot of people's lives. What did Moses do in this instance? Moses reverted back to something that occurred 40 years ago. Catch this. We're about to bring water out of a rock. And Moses, in his mind, journeys back to something that occurred 40 years ago. Y'all ever done that? Y'all ever journeyed back in your mind to what happened 40 years ago? Uh, if you're under the age of 25, do not mock me. But there's a lot of us that do that. We talk about the good old days. We talk about how wonderful it was. And we forget sometimes, we forget sometimes that you cannot treat a situation the same way you did 40 years ago. you got a different group of people you're dealing with. The Bible reminds us in the Gospels that... Uh, the law came by Moses. I believe this is John chapter 1, that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law, Moses was a picture of the law, and the law can only take God's people so far. But the law never did, and it never could carry them into the promised land. The law never can carry you into the presence of God and into His favor. It's an impossibility. There's one thing that's said about Moses when he dies, that his strength was not abated and his eyesight was not dim. He was just as strong the day he died and he saw just as clearly the day he died as he has any other time in his life. Now, is there anybody in here that can stand up and say, I'm just as strong as I was when I was 18? I can see just as clear as I did when I was 18. I, I got these... Spectacles, ain't they spectacular? Yay, ain't this great? I've seen some people, glasses so thick, I think they can almost see in the next week. Uh, they, none, of one of, none of one of us in here can stand up and say, I'm just as good as I was when I was 18. Now, there's a country song that says, I ain't, I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm once good as I ever was. Uh, give me a chance, and maybe one time in my life, I might could muster up some strength to be kind of like what I was, but... In Moses' day, Moses was just as strong and he saw just as well as he had all his life. In your life, the law is just as strong as it's always been. And it seems just as wicked as you've always been. It, take, it took the obedience and death of Christ to fulfill that law on your behalf. Moses, by sort of implementing something here that maybe worked way back then but is not really going to work now, kind of shows himself not worthy to lead Israel into Canaan's land. But let me show you something else. There, there's a change that occurs. There's a change that occurs in Israel's dealing or God's dealing with Israel. Turn with me to uh, 
Exodus chapter 3, I think. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is tending his uh, Jethro, his father-in-law's sheep, this is where we have the record of the burning bush. We're all familiar with this, right? Or sort of familiar with this, right? I'd like you to notice something here. Uh, Exodus 3 and verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. What did Moses do? There's a bush over here. Moses says, I will turn around, and I'm going to see what's what we have here. You got that? All right. Uh, chapter 6 of Exodus. Chapter 6 of Exodus, verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. Moses turned aside to see a bush that was burning, but not consumed. God told him, You will now see what I will do to Pharaoh. Let me give you one more. Exodus 14. Exodus 14, verse 13. Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Exodus 14, and verse 31. And Israel saw... That great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. What do we got here? I've given you at least four, four verses. We could read these chapters and I could probably give you 40 more. Of Israel's experience in dealing with God, believing God, and believing Moses is based on what they saw. See? You see that? They're dealing with God. They're believing God. Their obedience to God. They're following Moses. Is based on what they saw. So when you had water, and it was bitter, what did they see? Moses cut down a tree, threw it in the water. The second time, what did they see? They saw Moses take his rod, hit the rock, water came out. But when you get to that third occurrence, God makes a change. He doesn't want Israel to believe what they see. He wants Israel to believe what they hear. Because He tells Moses, speak to the rock. And he shall bring forth his water. They went from seeing to saying. There are some people in life, they cannot learn by listening. They have to learn by experience. It's often been said that experience is the best teacher. Experience is not the best teacher. It is certainly the most effectual teacher, but it's not always the best teacher. Because there are some people who can just learn by listening. They can learn by listening. Now, it is true that I may learn by observing and seeing what you do. But there are a lot of times in my life, and it's been true in your, in your life, where you can just have the ability to learn by listening. You say, well... What does this really have to do with Jesus? How did Moses fail to show Christ in the book of Numbers? I'm glad you asked. If you turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, you have a situation where there was an individual who refused to learn by listening. As a matter of fact, you've got a ton of people in the New Testament who did this one thing. They learned by listening. 
On the day of resurrection, Mary went to the tomb and she found the tomb empty, did she not? What did she do? She gathered up her skirt and she ran back to where the disciples were and she said, the tomb is empty and He ain't there. The disciples failed to learn by listening. Because Jesus had told them, I'm going to be resurrected. Three days later, I'm going to be in Galilee. And they went to the wrong place. They went to the tomb. Jesus said, I wasn't going to be there. I'm going to be in Galilee. They failed to learn by listening. They've now got to learn by experience. So when Mary told the disciples, he ain't there, the tomb is empty, what did Peter and John do? They ran to the tomb. And they get there. Tomb's empty. A lot of them are discouraged. A lot of them are put down. A lot of them are put out. And then Jesus appears later to those same disciples as they're hiding in an upper room. He appears to them in Mark 16 and says, I am risen. Go you therefore and teach all nations. But there was somebody that was missing through all of those experiences. And that's a man named Thomas. We know about doubting Thomas, right? Thomas, one of the twelve, this is John 20 and verse 24. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. We've seen Christ. Now, is Thomas going to learn by listening or does he want to learn by experience? He wants to learn by experience, doesn't he? Uh huh. And what does Thomas say? He says, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my hand to his side, I will not believe. Boy, you're stubborn there, ain't you? Well, when you're dealing with folks' belief, you're not sure what you're dealing with. You're either dealing with ignorance or stubbornness, one or the other. I'm confident there's a lot of there's a, I'm confident that one of the reasons that we don't discuss Bible issues anymore amongst us, like if we were to have a discussion on, say, absolute predestination, or we were to have a discussion on uh, baptismal regeneration, uh, you know, whether it was true or not, I'm confident there's two reasons that a lot of people don't discuss this. Number one, they're not learned enough to defend what they believe. And number two, they are so learned, they can defend what they believe, and they're insulted anybody would question what they believe. Here's Thomas, and he says, I'm not going to believe anything anybody says until I experience it myself. And after eight days, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, it is not written in the text. It is my personal belief that I don't think Thomas had the gall to reach out and touch him. You might have a different opinion of that. I don't think Thomas was bold enough. I think he was called on his hand, and I think his hand was weak and he folded, is, is what I think. I give you that one for free. You don't have to pay for that one. But I do believe that his confession was correct, and I do believe his confession was strong when he says, My Lord and my God. If Jesus ain't God, what's Thomas do in calling him God start with. He says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. When Moses was to speak to the rock, Israel was to learn by hearing what Moses said. God is transitioning Israel like He does a lot of things. There was an appropriate time in Israel's history when animal sacrifices uh, were appropriate for worship. 
But when Christ came, those animal sacrifices were to be done away with. What was done in that generation was not applicable to this generation. There was a time when musical instruments had a place in Old Testament worship. They filled a physical place in Old Testament worship. When Christ came and set up his church and changed the focus of New Testament worship, those instruments don't have a place in New Testament worship. Because what happens now is when Paul says in, in, in Hebrews 10, he says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, saved from what? Discouragement? Being a fool like Thomas? Thomas made a fool of himself here in this instance. The reason that preachers get this so wrong is they don't understand cause and effect. Preachers stand up and they tell people, if you'll just confess with your mouth, God will change your heart and you can be saved. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in the heart comes out of the mouth is what Jesus is saying. If God doesn't change your heart, your mouth isn't going to change. When God changes the heart and puts His Spirit in the heart and borns a man again, then out of the mouth comes confession and praise and evidence that salvation is His. So when God told Moses, speak to the rock, what the congregation is to understand and what they are to see is things don't happen because we have the ability to jump pews and slap people in the forehead and run around the building and do tricks and jumping jacks and jump for Jesus and cartwheels for Christ. Things happen in our congregations when we simply speak to the God of glory. He didn't ask us to do great things. He said, preach and pray and sing in my name. That's what he asks the congregation to do. And the congregation learns that God is with them based on what they hear being said. We enjoy the message. The message makes sense. But the message only makes sense when the Spirit of God is blessing the preacher and blessing the hearer. As much grace as the preacher needs to preach, the congregation needs the same grace to hear the same message. So Moses missed. Moses might have had a little issue with anger. Moses might have had a little issue with impatience. But most of all, Moses missed being reverential to Almighty God. That should be our prayer and our desire that we don't miss the opportunity to reverence God and sanctify God in the eyes and in the minds of the congregation to let people know Regardless of our situation, God is still good. As I said earlier, we've, we've been reading The Hiding Place to the children. And it's about Corey Tin Boone and her sister, uh, Betsy. And in this book, Betsy is a lot more faithful than Corey is. Corey has a lot more doubts. And Betsy is just head on. God is good. When, when their little... Uh, Hiding of the Jews uh, in Holland was discovered, and the house that Corey and Betsy lived in, it was finally discovered that it was a safe haven for uh, Jewish people, or at least that she was a ringleader of this underground organization. The whole family was arrested. Betsy and Corey were taken to a prison. Their father was taken to another prison. Their father uh, died 10 days after being taken to his prison, and they did not know this for at least a year. Corey is locked in her cell. She's eventually, as she's in prison, locked in her cell by herself, not allowed to talk to anybody. And during this time that she is in isolation, 
She's wondering what's happened to everyone. Finally, it's Hitler's birthday. She's in jail on Hitler's birthday. So on Hitler's birthday, all the jail attendants, they're down at the birthday party. So they sort of leave the prison unattended, and the prisoners open their doors or allowed, are able to open their doors, the little window that's in the door, and holler out through this little thing. And so they're all hollering out their names and trying to find out, does anybody know this person? Do you know this person? They're trying to find out where they fit in this prison. And she hollers out, Betsy, does anybody know where Betsy Ten Boom is? And a little bit later, it comes back, Betsy's in cell, whatever, 300. And she wants you to know God is good. In the midst of every bit of that, she still had to believe God was good. She said, yep, that's Betsy. It's easy to be Christians. When we live in this free society that we do, and we sit in our lounge chairs and our drink our sweet tea, and our football team is winning, to sit back and say, God is good. It's something completely different when the government's coming down on our neck for just simply being a child of God, believing this Bible, and simply saying, God is good. May God give us grace. May He give us courage. Not only now, but in the worst of times in our life. Remind people that God 